This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. You know in Jurassic Park, you know when they're they're in the Ford Explorer. Heck of a job by Ford getting that movie, by the way. And you just hear the... And then the lawyer says, Maybe it's the power trying to come back on. It could be. Or it could be Wyoming tied with Texas midway through the fourth quarter. It could be South Alabama or South Florida, whichever South Alabama plays this. It could be an upset coming out of nowhere. That's what it could be. These kinds of weeks always make me a little uneasy. And I'm not even coaching or playing in the games, but I'm a bystander, and I haven't predicted any major upset. Florida over Tennessee is not major. And yet here I sit with the rest of you, 48 hours out, unless you think Bethune-Cookman has a shot against Miami tonight. It is Thursday night, September 14th, the year of our Lord, 2023. We're jam-packed. High atop a sun-drenched downtown Nashville. Upset alerts. Yeah, I got them tonight. I've also got a real in-depth conversation that some say is long overdue. I don't. About which conference is actually the strongest in America right now. I don't know if you've heard but there, are, there have been two bits of breaking news around this office today. I'm going to share the other one with you in a second. It involves Director Colin. The first one is the SEC is down for the count. That's the breaking news. So we'll discuss. Do you believe this? We'll discuss. Uh, I'm going to talk to Cole Kublik a little bit later in the show. He's got Georgia Tech Ole Miss this weekend, a triumphant return for Kublik to Oxford. I know you guys have been waiting on that. All that, plus uh, I've got two new items to show you. Immunity. They're watching us in San Diego, California. Molino, Florida. Where's Molino? Someone in the chat. Where's Molino? Uh, Cedar Springs, Michigan. New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh, Fun fact, I'll be in New Orleans in about three hours. i got some personal business to attend to down there. And then we'll be off to Missouri this weekend for Kansas State, Missouri, the Once Upon a Saturday Tour. So before that happens, let me remind you folks of something. Uh, most of you are already familiar, but if you're not, you need to make sure you're following on Instagram at Late Kick Josh because Friday Night Lines was on actual fire last week. Like if you were watching on your phone, you thought your battery was overheating, but it was really just that we were handing out so many winners. So the Ramen Noodle Express is is chugging towards profitability. In fact, we're we're 66 percent so far this year, and we're looking to continue that. So anyway. I'm going to give you another best bet on the show tonight, but the final plays we hand out, that's on Friday night, and it's late most of the time, and I can guarantee you it'll be late because i got to fly to St. Louis Friday night, and I'll get in a little bit late. So Friday Night Lines, it's live. It's only on Instagram, at Late Kick Josh. That's the first order of business. The second order of business is, Director Colin, let's double clap this thing. As of the last hour in the Pate State store, finally, finally we have our first hopefully of many, Pate State strength and conditioning t-shirts that have dropped. Now look, 
This is open to interpretation. And if you're listening on podcasts, just imagine a flexed fist holding a dumbbell. You think to yourself, those are plates on the side of that dumbbell. I like to think of them as train wheels, not training wheels, the actual wheels you would see on the side of a freight car to each his and her own. And also in the Pate State store, as of the last hour, we've been paying attention to Deion Sanders, as you could clearly see. Now, I'm not going to have a Colorado segment on the show tonight, but that doesn't mean we don't have two brand spanking new shirts. They say we kept the receipts in the Pate State store. I think they're glorious. I think they're beautiful. I'll probably buy 10 for family and friends as soon as I find out if I have any in Colorado. So PateStateMaterial.com. Those are there right now. My advice, buy them as quickly as you can. All right. The other bit of breaking news as we dive into the show is I found out moments ago, Director Colin once sold popcorn at Bristol, Bristol Motor Speedway. And I don't know what to do with the information. We don't have photographic evidence, but Director Colin, who is a real living, breathing boy, once sold popcorn at Bristol. How about that? And once worked in Bristol, just a different one. And that's all you need to know about him. Let's dive into the show tonight. All right. So a debate is raging in college football circles about conference strength. This normally is reserved for bowl season, but now everyone's talking about it because the SEC seems like it may have a flat tire or three. And uh, that means that conference supremacy is up for grabs. It's like a ladder match. And all of a sudden, everyone's reaching for the belt. I think this is an impossible debate. But so many of you have asked me, hey, who do you think is the number one conference in America right now? that I'm going to wade into these treacherous, treacherous waters right along with the rest of you. I think it's impossible only because I'm not so sure we all value the same thing. A lot of you look at this and you say, well, how many teams out of your conference could make the playoff? How many of them could win a championship? A lot of the rest of you just care about rankings or conference records. So here's the first thing. Ultimately, in December, it's going to come down to who has the most title contenders. And the way I see it right now, and I'm free to adjust this, as are you in your own mind, I think the SEC's still got to be considered to have three of them. I think Georgia and Alabama are certainly up there. I think LSU is still up there. Because the thing about it is, you can't be knocking LSU out of contention, but also tell me Florida State's a bona fide title contender when that's the team they lost to. Ditto with Alabama. They lost to Texas. No one's knocking Texas. They're a title contender, and so on and so forth. In the Big Ten, clearly they've got three of them up there, or at least we think it's clear that as of now, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. So by that prism, SEC, Big Ten, kind of similar. Now, here's my question to you. How would you view the Pac-12 right now? Because I can make two arguments. I could make an argument there are like five teams out there that are alive for championship slash playoff consideration. Or you could come back at me and say, no, they actually have one or none. You just haven't seen all the, the carnage start to take place once conference play starts. Which, which either one of them could be true. We're so early in the season, one of many reasons, by the way, that this is a totally irrelevant conversation. Naturally, I'm leading the show with it. Uh, Big 12 is the same way. Like Kansas State hasn't lost a game. Should I consider them a playoff contender? We're going to see them in 48 hours. Should I consider them a playoff contender? Because I consider Texas one, and I've seen Texas in person. I consider Oklahoma one. But if you shot back at me, well, you only think that because of what the Vegas odds say. Well, kind of, yeah. I mean, you are right about that. Oklahoma has, has not played a marquee opponent yet. And so... Um, the ACC, that's tough because right now, 
as much as I don't believe in writing Clemson off, I've temporarily taken my hand and I've just, I've just pushed them to the side. And I got Florida State alone in the playoff contention bracket for the ACC. But I could be wrong about that. Like I said, I reserve the right to add teams and subtract teams at my leisure. But here's the, here's the reason I don't take part in this conversation in bowl season. In bowl season, you know how back in the day before people used phrases like meaningless bowl game, casualty. Uh, before people did that, though, we would have, what did, uh, what did ESPN call it? Capital One Bowl Mania or whatever it was where you just compare conference records. The Pac-12 is 6-1 in bowl season. The SEC is 2-7 in bowl season. And, you know, that was the most low-hanging fruit imaginable, but it was used around the Christmas dinner table and the New Year's Eve, whatever in the world you gather around on January 31st or December 31st. It was used to tout conference supremacy. Well, I never looked at it that way. I thought the only way, and I still think this way, I think the only way that you could measure true, legitimate conference supremacy is if you had some tournament wherein every conference was seeded, one through 12, one through 14, one through 16, however many of them you have, uh, f find the number that would fit them all. So 14, I guess, every conference, every conference has at least 12, I think, or 14 right now. So take the top 14 teams out of every conference, seed them, one through 14, and then if I'm going to watch an ACC versus Pac-12 game, I want to see number four versus number four. So far this year, what's happened, and this is going to sound like sour grapes, half of you already think I'm an SEC homer anyway, so I don't care at this point. That's fine. We all know where I grew up. That's fine. The SEC's three and six right now in out-of-conference matchups, which most people would tell you means the SEC is down, and I don't disagree that the SEC is down. What it doesn't tell me is how they measure up shot for shot against any other conference. Because what we saw, in case you hadn't been paying attention, is FSU-LSU. Okay, that was the ACC's number one against the SEC's, call it a three. I think that's safe to say. North Carolina beat South Carolina. Okay, that was supposed to tell me something about ACC-SEC. What it told me is the number three team in the ACC beat the number 10 team in the SEC. As they should. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not downing the accomplishment. I'm just saying that tells me nothing about the conference against the conference. Florida, by most discernible metrics, was the 11th or 12th team preseason in the SEC. Utah, even without Cam Rising, who is in the production suite as we speak, even without Cam Rising, five maybe in the Pac-12. It doesn't tell me what you think it tells me. This is not the flex you think it is, to quote the famous meme of me that's floating around. I think... The most powerful arguments against the SEC right now are that A&M Miami game and the Texas Bama game. Those mean something to me. At least it means something team versus team to me. Now, there may be a steep drop off once you get to the middle tiers of those respective conferences versus the SEC. But uh, the rest of this stuff is just it's just matchup stuff. It's, it just tells me North Carolina is better than South Carolina. It tells me at least to start the season, FSU was better than LSU by a wide margin in the second half, as it turns out. Doesn't really tell me much about the ACC. So conference record, I don't care about head to head. I don't care about, I never care about it in bowl season. So I especially don't care about it in the regular season. And anyone who's watched me for a long time, thank you. I mean, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Anyone who's watched me for a long time knows that I've used this against the SEC for years. Even if the SEC were to tout this stuff, I would remind SEC fans, I would say, well, 
was it evenly seeded? No, it wasn't. So therefore, I don't care. I don't care if Alabama goes and beats Duke. I really don't. It didn't tell me anything. It tells me Alabama's better than Duke. Love to see that matchup at the moment, but I don't really care about anything past that. Rankings, I also don't care about. So right now, the AP is just littered with Pac-12 teams, which I got no problem with. The JP poll has how many, Jesse? We got six Pac-12 teams in our top 25. So yeah, I agree with that in, in theory. Here's the difference. You want to know the difference between rankings and power ratings? Here's the difference. Follow me here on this little mental exercise. So the AP has UCLA at number 24 right now. I got no issue with that. I got UCLA a little bit higher, but I've got no issue with that. So for argument's sake, let's just say the AP is dead on the money. It's right about every team. It's not, obviously. But for argument's sake, let's say that is, that is the gospel. All these words are written in red. Take it to the bank. If that were the case, that would mean UCLA has seven Pac-12 teams ahead of them in the top 25. Southern Cal, Colorado, Oregon, Oregon State, um, Utah's up there, Washington's up there, Washington State is ahead of UCLA. So all those teams are ranked ahead of UCLA, right? Let's say UCLA played every one of them in conference play, just as a mental exercise, and they lost to every one of them. Would you keep UCLA 24th? If they lost in direct proportion to how much higher ranked their opposing team is than them. So Southern Cal beats them by two touchdowns. Washington State beats them by one point. In other words, the AP poll plays out on the field exactly as it says it should. What would you do with UCLA? The JP poll wouldn't bump them down a single spot. I'd keep them number 24 because what I would see is validation that my power ratings are right. But in rankings land, you can't have a 5-7 and seven team ranked inside the top 25. Absolutely not. No, no, no. So that's dumb to me. That's why I never believed in ranking teams because the, the merit or the punishment just because you win or just because you lose has never made sense. This is not pro sports. This is college sports. And also, that's why I do power ratings. So the best I can tell right now and I really hate to do this because I know a lot of folks really, really dialed up and ready to bash the SEC like a pinata. The SEC is still the best conference in college football. That's one truth. The other truth is I do think it's down. I do think it's much closer to the pack than in most years. But here's the separator. You hold them to a different standard in your mind. And most of you know you do. But even if you don't know that, in that subconscious of yours, you do. You hold the SEC to a different standard. You look at them... And you criticize them for things you would totally shut your mouth about if you saw the ACC do it or the Big 12 do it because you don't expect as much from them. But if we're doing an apples to apples heads up scenario right here, you can't do that. You got to hold everyone to the same standard. So right now we got, I'm just looking at my power ratings. You can think what you want to about them. I got three SEC teams in my top 10. I got three Big 10 teams in my top 10. But when I get to that second tier, there's a pretty sizable drop off. I don't have a lot of Big 10 elsewhere in the top 25. I got some SEC. I got six Pac-12 teams, but my highest Pac-12 team is seventh. I got four from the Big 12. I got four from the ACC. And so as much as you want to knock the SEC's depth, the SEC's depth shouldn't be knocked. It's just that when that depth gets tested against the ACC's number three team, 
or the Pac-12's number four team, yeah, it's going to get exposed a little bit because the SEC's not as good this year as they are in most years. But here's the thing. There was a there was a wide swath. There was a big gap, a chasm, if you will, between where the SEC had been and wherever the next best conference was. And the only contender really was the Big Ten in years past. And look, it may still shake out that way this year. I love what the Pac-12's done. I think the Pac-12 could end up reasonably being the second best conference top to bottom in college football this year. They're not going to be better than the SEC. No one will be better than the SEC this year. Uh, No one will be better than the SEC for the foreseeable future. I know that's unpopular. It also happens to be truth. Even in a down year for the SEC, the quality in the conference top to bottom is better than the top to bottom quality in any other conference. I'm sorry, but that's the way it is. We're going to see last year's Big 12 champion this Saturday, though. The Once Upon a Saturday Tour is headed to Columbia, Missouri. First time ever in Columbia for us to see a football game. Sold out. First time since 2019 there. And so, uh, yeah, 11 a.m. local kick Saturday. You know how much I love those. It's not big noon kickoff because Fox doesn't have the game. I think, uh, I think it's SEC Network. I think friend of the program Alyssa Lang will be up there on the sideline with us. So we look forward to that. And I also look forward for about two more days to having that Once Upon a Saturday Stop in Columbia t-shirt in the Pate State store, patestatematerial.com. Just a fair warning. We've never been to Missouri before. I don't know when we'll be there again. That shirt's going to be there two more days, and then it's gone. So if you want to commemorate that trip to Faro Field, and I got to check on the pronunciation because I never get those words that end in T right. That's where it is, patestatematerial.com. Speaking of just games all over the place this weekend, the upset meter to me peaks the hardest in weekends like this. Weekends where your casual cousin, for example, we'll call him Carl, not Reed, tells you, oh, this is a sleeper of a weekend. Oh, just fast forward to week four. And believe me, week four is loaded. We got some decisions to make with the Once Upon a Saturday tour next week. But here's the thing about weekends like this. They always are tough to see because you're in like a fog. And then all of a sudden you come out of the fog and it turns out, oh, there's a mushroom cloud. Where'd that come from? Oh, a great big bomb in college football just went off. We got carnage everywhere. It's chaos left and right. I never would have seen it coming. Well, here's the thing about it. We try and see it. We try and see around the corner. But it's difficult. Like Penn State plays Illinois this weekend. The line on the game's 14 and a half. It's Drew Aller's first Real road test as the starting quarterback at Penn State. It's an 11 a.m. local kick. Illinois is totally off everyone's radar because they lost to Kansas last Friday night, meaning they got a little extra rest for this one. Of course, they're in wounded animal mode, one of the most important metrics on this show. Penn State, according to my research from producer Jesse, they, they did let that West Virginia quarterback run on them a little bit. And Luke Altmaier can do the same for Illinois. So what this thing go to? About 19 overtimes the last time they played. What a memory. I mean, what a memory. They didn't play last year. So Penn State at Illinois. I think the upset meter, uh, a 6 on a 1 to 10 scale. So in other words, keep your eye on it. Next up, this is just disgusting. I can, I can smell this off the piece of paper. South Alabama is only a 7.5 point underdog at Oklahoma State. So that's with home field baked in. South Alabama, a seven and a half point dog. It's been bet down from nine. I looked at the model. The model slightly leans Oklahoma State. And I said, no, thank you. We bet Oklahoma State last week. We won. We are not on the Cowboys this week. 
Do you know they've played three quarterbacks this year? Like Oklahoma State has three quarterbacks who have thrown 15 or more passes. It's week three. That's wild. That, that's actually pretty crazy. They got to figure it out. Do you want to be figuring it out against South Alabama? I know most of you think that South Alabama is a nothing program and they got a, a clip art mascot logo. This is a good team. It's a very good team. And that coaching staff's going to be getting attention on a broad scale from a lot of more major programs. I say the same thing about the Troy coaching staff. I got some really good coaching staffs in Alabama at the G5 level. Trent Dilfer's the head coach at UAB. So there's all kind of entertaining things happening down there. I'm going to put this upset alert at like an eight. I'm very nervous about it. And this is half of my Big 12 championship game prediction. Oklahoma State, it's not a conference game, but if they drop it to the Jags of South Alabama, it would not go very far in giving me comfort as they enter conference play. Next up, this to me is one that is far enough off the radar to where I'm just putting the, the bright blinking red light emojis all over it. Washington is laying 17 on the road at Michigan State. What's Michigan State been in the news for this week? Their head coach is suspended pending a sexual harassment investigation. No one's talking about football. And also, everyone's just of the opinion the team's terrible. Quarterback, best wide receiver transferred out. They're bad. No one's paying attention to Noah Kim. No one even knows what he's been doing at the quarterback position. No one knows that Michigan State is plus 74 in point differential. So far through two games, that's their best mark since 1931. And whomst amongst us could forget that 31 Spartan squad. I got to hit my buddy Jim Don enough and ask him if he was on that team. So I'm looking at this. And Washington's sitting there in the top 10, and they're going across the country, and they're laying 17, and I am nervous because sometimes it's called the Ewing effect. Producer Jesse was talking to me about it today. A lot of times when you lose star players and you know about it all week, it doesn't happen on a Friday, there's this galvanization that happens in the locker room, and, and a bunch of folks play at 105%, and collectively that more than makes up for the loss. Well, when you lose a head coach... That not only happens with your player roster, sometimes it happens with your coaching staff too. And that's not even to mention, there could just be some folks up there that didn't like Mel Tucker. Now, I'm speaking purely hypothetically here. I don't know any of that to be true. But there, sometimes there, there just happens to be resentment for whoever is out or got suspended in the locker room. And there's an added motivation to play at your best because you want to show everyone without this person, we're better. Oh, and by the way, you want to defend home field in any scenario. So I'm nervous about that one. That's like a seven and a half, maybe even seven and three quarter on the upset alert scale. Colorado State goes to Colorado. Yeah, that's happening. So now what we have is we've got Colorado in a potential letdown look ahead spot. They go to Oregon next week. And you would think this was going to be a sleepy little game that only people in Colorado cared about. And then all of a sudden this happened. Are tired of it. And I sat down with ESPN today, and I don't care if they hear it in Boulder. I told them I took my hat off and I took my glasses off, and I said, when I talk to grown-ups, I take my hat and my glasses off. That's what my mother taught me. So, you know, they're not going to like us no matter what we say or do. It doesn't matter, okay? So let's go up there and play. Once again, why would you want to talk about us when we don't talk about nobody? All we do is go out here, work our butts up, and do our job on Saturday. But when they give us ammunition, 
They unmasked Brown and made it what? It was just gonna be a good game. They unmasked Brown and made it personal. It was gonna be a great test, a battle of Colorado, but they unmasked Brown and made it personal. Guys, they messed around and they done made it personal. Uh, what you just heard, if you're listening on podcast, was Colorado State head coach Jay Norvell. Breaking news, Jay Norvell is the head coach of Colorado State. And you heard Deion Sanders wearing a hat and wearing shades while talking to us. <sighs> you know I think this stuff is stupid. However, I also think it's thoroughly entertaining. And so I will wade into those waters as well if anyone gives me an opportunity to. College game day is at Boulder this week. At Boulder, in Boulder. And... Um, I saw ticket prices for this game. The line's in the 23 and a half range. It's insane what's happening out there. Utterly insane. Now, we're talking about upset potential here. Colorado State somehow is coming off a bye. Again, I say somehow because it's only week three. And secondly, yes, it's been a double dose of really high emotion, high leverage situations for Colorado weeks one and two. They beat TCU. They beat Nebraska. They got Oregon and Southern Cal on deck. So in normal world college football, this would be a letdown, look ahead, trap, whatever you want to call it, spot, sandwich spot. Nothing about Colorado's normal. And I don't think they're thinking like a typical championship contender team is thinking. I still think they view all these games as equal because they weren't expected to do anything. It's different. Like they look at this thing and it's just the next challenge. I just, what I'm trying to say is, I don't think they get let down. I don't think they suffer to this point from the same potential pitfalls that other teams do. I just think they're wired a little different, this year's version. That's not to say in the future they, they won't revert back to the kind of semi-normal form of college football. I, I think they're going to run it up on Colorado State. That's what I think. So I've got this at like a two. I don't think there's much of a threat of an upset here. I'm the same person who laid 20 with TCU in week one and had them victimize me. So... I wouldn't be taking my opinion on Colorado games to the bank just yet. There's money to be made elsewhere. But conference play is on deck. Conference play beckons. Uh, two conference games right here. LSU is laying nine and a half at Mississippi State. Obviously, I think the upset alert meter is very high on this one because we took Mississippi State and the points. It's a Ramen Noodle Express best bet for us. It's pretty simple for me. I got Mississippi State power rated in my top 25. So I'm not going to watch them in good conscience be laying nine and a half at home and not jump on it. And I, I also watched the Arizona game last week, and they were horrific, which, as you know, the theory on this show is if you're bad, I don't expect you to try and replicate whatever your, your ill-fated game plan was. I expect you to go another direction. But, but if they do attempt to go the same direction, Mississippi State can run the ball on LSU, at least if statistical profiles hold up from so far this year. Now, while Mississippi State may be elderly, or as you might call them, experienced, defensively, it's not the fastest defense in the world. So LSU is going to have plays they can make to probably a little bit higher scoring game than the total indicates. I'm not taking the over. I'm just saying that's my feel on it. I've already got a side on this one. I am taking Mississippi State plus the points. I didn't pick the outright upset. But obviously, if I think it's going to be in the single digits, I think there's a shot at it. And also, that South Carolina at Georgia game, this game's already broken down on the channel. We've already got an individual video on it. It's all about pressure. Talked about it with Spencer Rattler. 
It's all about Georgia's opportunity to either explode or be exposed. Either could happen here. And if you're exposed, it doesn't have to be a loss. Like, I don't think the upset potential is particularly high. It's a four-touchdown spread. So I don't think the upset potential is particularly high. But the thing about it is, if you beat South Carolina 26-20, to 20, uh, there, there are probably still a lot of things that Kirby Smart's having to talk about in that post-game press conference that don't feel real well and don't make you have the warm fuzzies in your, in your belly. And then you know, you're saying to yourself, man, if Texas would have come in here, they would have beaten us just like they beat Alabama. Only thing saving us is a softer schedule right now. Or Georgia's up 30-3 to at the half. And that pass rush gets to Spencer Rattler. And those wide receivers do break out and block really well on the perimeter. And Carson Beck has himself an afternoon. And that crowd does what Kirby Smart's asked him to do. Literally, either one can happen and would not surprise me. So my upset meter's not especially off the charts on this one. It bears watching, to me, even in a win for what Georgia could look like. Many different versions of Georgia we could see. Also, I think Florida's just going to beat Tennessee. I picked Florida outright to beat them. So that's the upset I'm on this weekend. I, I spoke my piece on this the other night. I just think Tennessee's going to probably be seen by America, most of America for the first time. And you're going to expect Tennessee to be throwing the ball all over the place, and that is not their offense. It is not. They've got two pass plays of over 20 yards so far this year. They have more rushing yards than passing yards. Some of that's because they've been playing in blowout games. I will grant you that. I'm telling you, even in a tight one possession game, I think that's their offensive profile. That's their offensive identity right now. The difference is Tennessee can get after you a whole lot more defensively themselves. And so I'm the one who stood on the sideline in Salt Lake City and watched Florida struggle to even get past the line of scrimmage on the ground. Are they really going to be able to put up 125, 130, much less 170, 180 on the ground against Tennessee? And if they can't, is Graham Mertz about to win me a ball game through the air? Somehow I think it's going to happen. So that's, that upset meters all the way at a nine, nine and a half for me. Upsets are, they're good for the soul unless you're pulling for the favorite. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. There should be not a single, not a single teary eye, nobody upset at this news. In Brenham, Texas, which is in the Houston area, starting tomorrow through Sunday, we are opening a brand new Academy Sports and Outdoors. And if you want the address, it's 1041 Nolan Street. Now, Academy Sports and Outdoors is your one-stop shop for all things Outdoor Sporting Goods Plus. They are our exclusive partner, and they make the show free of charge to you. And they've got a whole lot of stuff you need in your life. 
But if you live in or around Brenham, Texas, or you just feel like a road trip this weekend, I'm giving away five chalai of supremacy to people who prove to me publicly that they were there. Use your imagination. Don't do anything illegal. Snapshot of a receipt or standing outside the store will suffice. Make sure you get there if you're in the area. And then next week, if that's a little bit too far down the road for you, down in Kyle, Texas, that's in the Austin area, 922 through 924, 5755 Kyle Parkway, Suite 200. We're opening one up next weekend there. So as I told you, I promised you guys, Academy Sports and Outdoors locations just popping up all over the place. And I love it, uh, number one, because if you've ever been in there, I don't need to sell you on it. They got all kinds of incredible stuff. And and Big League Chew in the checkout line. And number two, like I said, they make the show free. So amazing product on the shelves. They make sure this product is free to you. What do you have to lose? You've got to buy this stuff anyway. Make sure you do it at Academy. And if you can't get there in person, academy.com. All right, right before we get Cole Kublik in here, and he and I have several bones to pick tonight. Really good conversation coming up with Kublik in just a second. Let me remind you, Ramen Noodle Express, first off, I'm going to give you another best bet tonight. Make sure you're following on Instagram, at Lake Kick Josh. That Instagram story will fire up Friday night for Friday Night Lines. I announce it in the story about an hour before we do it. So come one, come all. Immunity. All right, let's take a look at which games we're on. So Georgia Tech plus 20 and a half at Ole Miss. Ironically, that's the game Kublik will be calling Saturday. I'm on Georgia Tech plus the points. I'm on Central Michigan plus 31 and a half. They are, by the way, playing Notre Dame. I am on Mississippi State plus nine at home against LSU. We are on Arizona minus 17 and a half. I believe they're playing UTEP out in Tucson. I'm on UL Monroe plus 36 and a half. And they're on the road at Texas A&M. All right, Colin, what are we adding tonight? Paper pop. Why not? Let's just go with the Western Michigan Broncos. And for the record, we love all the directional Michigan schools this weekend. So... Friday Night Lines could, could really be hanging out in the state of Michigan tomorrow night. So Western Michigan, UL Monroe, Arizona, Mississippi State, Central Michigan, Georgia Tech. Remember Friday Night Lines tomorrow night for plenty more. And there you have it. And then we have a dude I'm always willing to bet on, Cole Kublik, back. Uh, it's week, what, three now. You persevering? You weathering the storm fairly well? It's going okay. Last week was a little rough. We had overtime in Starkville, and I thought to myself, okay, cool. I'll miss the, the Bama-Texas uh, traffic, but about 10 <laughs> miles outside of Hoover, I hit the Bama-Texas traffic, so we were dead standstill there again. Had a couple delays on Sunday, so we're, we're, we're a little behind on sleep, but other than that, we're good. Yeah, it's been a fun year so far. Basically waved at you in that, in that Bama-Texas traffic. All right, so Texas is, to some degree, back. Uh, Southern Cal under Lincoln Riley, they're a contender. We saw what FSU did with Norvell. So you and I were on the phone the other day. We were kind of talking about this because everybody's got to take on NIL. Everyone's got to take on the portal and what it's done to college football. So there's this overwhelming thought out there that that's opened college football up. And I think that's true. I don't know that it's true the way people describe it like people describe it as if Minnesota at any given second could just randomly appear in the playoff picture and I don't think that's what NIL in the portal has done what I think and you can give me every thought you have on this is yeah it may have shaved like the top of the trees so it may have shaved 10 percent off of elite rosters any given year 
but that 10% is just going to other historically elite programs. So it's not South Florida coming to the table. It's FSU. It's not San Diego State coming to the table. It's USC. And so the folks who, who want parity, you're going to get it, but it really just circles back to the same teams that have been historically good. And then you got the Texases or the FSUs or the USCs that always should have been good, but couldn't get out of their own way. The process back to the main table, that's now kind of been expedited. Like that, that's all I see. Can you, is there something I'm missing here? Is there something the portal and NIL is doing that's truly revolutionizing the sport and putting new seats at the table? Or is it just seats that always once were there that they're pretty much there again? I think a lot of what you described, I would agree with and say that it's accurate. I think there's another big portion of this where when people see Texas beat Alabama, when people see maybe Georgia not being what they were last year, the year before, or other teams that we viewed as national championship contenders or teams that were super talented, either lose or even have games that were too competitive for their fans liking. What is happening also, in my opinion, Josh, is that it's not allowing the Ohio State, Alabama, um, Clemson's to be that much further ahead of everybody else. So the the two-lap lead that the premier schools once had, I feel like that's been shaved down greatly. And that distribution of wealth, as you said, I think the majority of it is going to other schools that at one point in time have been relevant or been a school that we would consider to be a power. And then you have teams that, yeah, they can make a little bit of a jump. The other thing that I noticed a couple things in college football this year, and I think the portal plays into this. This the continuity of, of college football teams is nowhere near where it needs to be. Oh, that's interesting. Physical that's act- interesting. Okay, so so uh, I would never interrupt you except this one time, because that kind of bleeds in. I want you to basically merge these two things. So the continuity thing there. A lot of folks thought NIL and Transfer Portal would fracture locker rooms. So you can tell me what you mean by continuity, but also there's this other thing you and I were talking about the other day I want you to expound on, just the overall max effort that you would have seen 20 years ago and to what degree we're still seeing that. Go on on that. I think those are a couple of the things that all go together. So continuity, whether it's offensive lines being able to play together, trade off a twist, being able to pick up a pressure, understanding protections. It's why we have a slide protection epidemic in this country right now. And you can call it slap or slide protection. You can call it gap protection. You can call it jet protection, quick protection, whatever it is. But when you see an offensive line all in sync, just move one way and then stop, that's quick protection. Uh, There are way too many teams that are overly reliant on that in college football right now, and it's getting people beat. Texas A&M had a big problem with it. Alabama's got a problem with it. There are a lot of teams that are just overly reliant. They don't want to let their guys block people up, and I think that goes to the physical portion and the continuity portion of not understanding how pressures are going to hit you, not understanding man protection, if you will, as in if my man doesn't come, where do I go? What do I do? In slide protection, what happens is guys are taking their one step to the left and they're just sitting there. There's no playing with your eyes anymore. There's no understanding of I don't have to go as far. I can stay here and help this guy and then maybe peek out to the side. Somebody comes off the corner. I can leave late and go pick him up. My quarterback still has time. I think that's reps playing football together. That's being in the same locker room, being in the same film room. It's practice time together. That's all been limited, so it's gone away. Then there's the physical portion of it. The physicality is very different right now. And this could pick up across the course of the year. I think back to, I can't remember what year Trey Smith's last year at Tennessee was, 2018, maybe 2017, 19, whatever it was. But Trey Smith struggled early in the year. And, and Trey Smith's one of my all-time favorite college football players. And, you know, he had, the, he had the blood clot situation and he was on medication, but he couldn't practice when he was on medication. So he'd come off and then he'd play. 
And like week seven, eight, we get Tennessee again, totally different player. He looked like the dominant guy that he was two years prior. And we had him. And I just asked him, I said, were you essentially using games as practice? He said, I had to. He said, I couldn't go out there and hit on Monday through Friday. So when I got into a game, that was my time to reacclimate myself. That was my practice time, so to speak. And when I say practice time in games, I don't mean that people are taking teams lightly or they're pretending like they're playing. It's not that. It's just that, like McElroy and I were talking about this the other day, and he actually stopped me on it and it's his point, so I'll give him credit for it. He doesn't steal ideas like you do. I'll say, or I guess I don't steal ideas like you do. But he said, he was like, Cole, I can't believe as a, as a guy that loves line play, you're kind of missing this. He said, these kids aren't ready for the season right now. That's why this is where we are. And you combine that with all the things you were just talking about. He said, think about five years ago, eight years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. He said, through two weeks of games, we still had when we played him, not as far along as I was, I a lot longer ago than he did. We still had more plays, not game plays, not practice plays, but combined in full pads where we hit each other than these teams right now probably already do through two games. So we were just more physically acclimated to go play. Now, going back to the continuity and the physicality, I think there's a comfort level that some teams just have. Think about Texas. All five of those offensive linemen played together last year. Quinn Ewer's been throwing seven on seven in practice and in the summer out there in shirts and shorts and messing around with these guys in the locker room. Like they've been, He's been around those guys for almost three years now. They know each other extremely well. That, that non, not nonverbal communication is there. They don't have to worry about it. And then I think the max effort part also comes with comfort and understanding and guys who have been around it. Now, there are very few teams that I see on film, Josh, that are just, pardon my French, playing their asses off. There's just not many of them. Um, Go watch the Miami film against Texas A&M. Yeah, there was a lot of scheme involved in that. Those guys played like their hair was on fire. Like they literally played like their family's lives were on the line. I haven't seen a lot of teams play that way this year. Uh, It's one of the reasons I was so complimentary of Arizona going in that Mississippi State game. Their defense plays a similar fashion. Like, they almost look like they're playing to knock you out of the game. And it's not dirty at all. It's it's blatantly obvious that Chuck Cecil's a member of that defensive staff. Like, because they play like he is. So, I I just think that it's taken away a little. I don't. Some people would say buy-in, investment. Are they truly invested? Are they at that place for the right reasons? Whatever. All of that. It, It could be a little bit of all of it. But there's not a lot of teams playing 100 miles an hour right now. And it will be very different when you and I are sitting here five, six weeks from now. Because some teams are going to grow into that. And some teams are going to gain that continuity. And it's all going to make sense. And that's going to add to what they can do and what they can prevent other people doing when they're playing against them. Here's what's wild now. People, in some cases, have watched this sport for a long time. Some of them have even played it. And I got them sitting here on camera or on radio or pod or or the internet saying in definitive terms, this team can't do this. That team can't do that. And in some cases they're talking about really skilled rosters that like you're talking about probably just haven't gelled yet. Meemaw used to make jello all the time. There's a reason she wouldn't let me open the fridge five minutes after she put it in there. Difference is that fridge time used to be fall camp. And now it's like week one, two, three. It happens every year though, Uh, even more to a degree now than it used to, but some team starts to scale and you find yourself saying, Oh, who would have seen this coming? Well, you don't necessarily have to have seen it coming on an individual basis, but you don't have to be totally blindsided by it either. Learn lessons from the past and know Clemson, LSU, Bama, like one of these teams is going to end up in the thick of contention in November and half y'all have already written them off. Shame on you. Couldn't be us. Couldn't be us. Okay. Well, also, maybe maybe going into seasons, moving forward, 
we should all take a little bit more of a, and I'm not saying all the way to this end of the spectrum, but a little bit more of a Colorado approach mm. where we went into this season. I know some of us went into this season of, I don't know. Can't tell you. Have no idea. And I was not afraid to say it, by the way. I was not afraid to sit there and tell you, guys, I don't know if Colorado's going to run two or ten. I don't know. Yeah. Haven't seen them play together. 80% of the roster's been flipped. I know they got a great offensive coordinator. I know they got a great staff. I know they got a good head coach that knows how to do the things that he does extremely well. But we're talking about playing football. Those aren't all those things. So we didn't know what that was going to be. And there's going to be more of that either in the super positive direction or in the super negative direction with all because we're at a we're at a we're at a max turnover level in college football right now annually. And that includes staff. I mean, we got guys going different places at a rate that we've never seen and way ahead of where it's ever been. So there's going to be a lot of this that stuff that happens that we had was going to look that way. Are you um, let's talk about rivalry games, not weeks, but a rivalry game in the SEC. Are you as bothered by me when people just gloss over these games like Tennessee, Alabama, or they did it with Tennessee, Bama for a while, Tennessee, Florida, they just kind of gloss over it. I love, love, love that we got a massive college audience that watches this show, but they're, they're working with one hand tied behind their back because if you're 19 years old, you have no concept of why this is even called a rivalry. Or why it's so storied. Like, they'll bring it on on ESPN Saturday night, and I guarantee you they'll prepackage footage from the Spurrier era or the Fulmer era, and you'll be watching it, and you'll say, well, is this even, what era is this? On what planet was this played? College football, we always pride ourselves on history and tradition, right? Well, in the modern age, it feels like there's this portion of the college football public that... If a, if a game, if a matchup hasn't been playoff relevant in the last five years, it's just a trash game. It's just a garbage game. <laughs> this has a ton of intrigue, man. Like, Bill, I don't know that any coach is under more pressure this Saturday or this weekend than Billy Napier is. I, I, I actually went out on the limb of picking them to win the game because I, I happen to think the dynamic with Tennessee's offense is a little different than how people perceive it. And, man, that's a total, like, back-against-the-wall moment for Florida this Saturday. Big recruiting weekend down there. I'm not going to go as far as to say must win, but I'm not stopping well short of that. It is a really big game for them. And I, look, you know my thought. I think we're training towards a season where we got massive upsets every weekend. It's not going to be a one or two weekend deal. So think about this, though. Like you're in Birmingham on radio. You guys take calls about this. Do people even talk about Tennessee, Florida right now in the, in the vein they used to? Not the way that they should. And we had a great example of what you were talking about last year. Damian Mitchell, one of the producers on our show in the morning. God love him. I think he's 22, but his brain is 11 when yeah. it comes to college football. And he lost his mind last year when Greg and I started talking about how cool it was to have this game back. Like this game actually means something, some real relevance with this game, as in things to play for. And things at the end of the season where this might be the game we look back on and say, remember what happened in that one? That's why this team is here. I'll educate some of the younger listeners. This was a freaking playoff game before there was a playoff. You go 96, 98, 99, 97, 89. Like this, this was a playoff game. The amount of NFL talent in the mid to late 90s that took the field when these two teams played one another was disgusting. It was LSU Alabama 09 esque every single year. And not just quarterbacks and receivers. 
tailbacks, offensive linemen, defensive linemen, corner safeties, and big players made big games seemingly every year in this game. And that was, I mean, that was like the Daniel Moore painting. And I don't even know if there's a Daniel Moore for Tennessee or Florida because I know all Daniel Moore paints is Alabama pictures. But if they did have an artist, whatever, whoever the Monet for Tennessee is, it would come from that game if they won it every year. And they would have the two players with the jerseys of what the score was trying to hide that in the background. And like Smokey would be jumping right next to the coach, mm-hmm. even though we know he never really gets that close to the head coach. But this game's huge, man. And it always will. This is why I'm upset we're getting away from divisions. That's a whole other show you and I can do another day. But I have said for a long time, we stop the word rivalry when we talk about college football way too soon. Boom. Way too soon. Because we take rivalry, and it's all the games that we get Thanksgiving Day and for the rest of that weekend, and then we don't talk about them. Oh, well, maybe Georgia-Florida. Okay, that one. Okay, well, I'll give you that one, but then there's no more. And I'm, I'm just like, it's not just the Civil War. It's not just the Iron Bowl. It's not just the game. Games have meaning because you are emotionally invested in them. And if an Auburn fan has gone a lifetime of back and forth with Mississippi State or Ole Miss or an LSU fan has had a lifetime of going back and forth with Arkansas and he remembers what Darren McFadden did to them and he remembers double-duty Davenport catching three touchdowns against them, but he also remembers Booger McFarland getting five sacks and how happy he was after that. And if you got beat, you knew you were getting them the next year. And if it happened on the road, you knew you were getting them at home. But you are so emotionally invested in how those things happen, when those things happen, why those things happen, that it meant more to you. There was more of your brain and heart that cared about that game than all the other games, even if they were teams that were better and more important and would actually mean more to your ranking that year. This one has a ton of that, a boatload of that, and it will for a long time. Even if a 17-year-old doesn't think that right now, I promise you it still does. Yeah, here's the other thing. Like down at Auburn, Playing Bama, it's one game in the conference standings, but yet the names that get remembered around there, the names that get remembered around uh, LSU or the names that get remembered around College States, you could pick it. It usually coincides with the fact that they put up really good numbers, but in these games, these circle rivalry games, they did something or they did a platter full of some things. And the thing about it is like someone will do that Saturday. If, if I'm telling you right now, now this sounds crazy, this sounds like outer space stuff based on week one. What if, what if one of those Florida tailbacks just goes for like 138 and three touchdowns after they put up like 13 yards total and, and in week one and Florida wins a 30 to 27 and that's what gets them back on track. And all of a sudden we fast forward to week eight or week nine and it's Florida plus eight against Georgia. And all of a sudden that's a competitive game out of nowhere. That's the kind of stuff they write about a generation from now. And all of a sudden, the same folks who are calling the game trash right now are telling a 17-year-old 17 years from now, you need to respect this game. That's what you need to do. You need to learn some respect for this game. Where do you come up with this? Sometimes this is why I hate watching your show, because I don't know how how your brain gets to these places. But what you just said about certain players – who in the grand scope of that school, that university, and that that team's history might not be massive. And you said Auburn LSU. I'll throw a couple names out. Cecil Collins. Mm-hmm. No, what, not a lot of people know who Cecil Collins is, but he ran for like 289 against us in Death Valley one night. And Rondell Mealy added like 187 to that game. And we found a way to win. Damian Craig drove us down and we won the game. But he had some issues off the field. He didn't play a lot of football there. But he was huge that night. Jamie Howard. 
Are there a lot of young LSU fans and Auburn fans that know about Jamie Howard right now? I'm looking around. Looking but I know around. he threw five interceptions in a game, and two of them were pick sixes, and Auburn found a way to come back from like four touchdowns down in the second half and win the game at Jordan-Hare Stadium. Like Those are the kind of names you're talking about that yep. will live on forever and ever and ever, but just because they're not in that team's Hall of Fame or the College Football Hall of Fame or played 10 years in the NFL, not a lot of people know why that player had the meaning that they did. And that's what makes them beautiful. That's what makes them great. So, you didn't necessarily get a ton of the Alabama miss or uh, Texas traffic. You got caught up in a little bit of it, but the game happened. So, while you were over in Starkville last week going to overtime, I was in Tuscaloosa at a game that did not need OT. By the way, picture this now. Picture standing in Bryant-Denny Stadium, and you're looking around, and it's emptying out midway through the fourth quarter. And you're thinking, oh, I saw that against Middle Tennessee State week one. We've seen it many times. What you haven't seen is you haven't seen it cause the home team is getting beat by double digits. That's what was so crazy about that. So everyone's had their take on this this week. I, um, I, I got to tell you what was pretty surreal. So earlier in the week, I kind of relayed some feedback I had got. I know it sounded like I was just coming off the cuff, but there are a lot of folks who think the Bama coaching staff below Nick Saban is not on par with some of the ones they've had in the past, which is easy to tell because the ones they've had in the past were like all-time staffs. So here's what was crazy. I got a ton of feedback on that, and overwhelmingly people around the program agreed. And then Saban steps to the podium, what are we, Thursday? So last night he steps to the podium and he said, yeah, people have been calling me all week saying, hey, these guys are jerks for criticizing you. But I'm like, they're not wrong. We should be criticized, which was, which was real funny. And I just, I just took it upon myself to let everyone know he's probably talking about our show because that's the kind of guy I am. But we, you, you and I were big on this offensive line, and it was a rough performance for them the other night. Um, no explosive plays on the ground, hardly. And the game plan, or maybe lack thereof, to feature Jalen Milrow, just a lot of stuff looked discombobulated. So I've spoken my piece on it. What are your thoughts about what is wrong with Bama if you think there's something wrong with Bama? I, I don't know if it's that there are a lot of things wrong. Let's also think about that this is a team that had the lead going into the fourth quarter, had multiple turnovers, was miserable on third down, and wasn't a very balanced football team throughout. There's a lot of other reasons that you could point to and say these also contributed to why they lost the game. The offensive line didn't play well. Texas has a really good D-line. You and I talked last week, 93 and 90 were going to be a problem. I didn't know if 95 was going to be that much of a problem as he was for that Texas front, but they were. Texas defense – a little bit of what we talked about earlier in the show. They look like they wanted it a little bit more. Uh, Texas's offensive line took it to that Alabama front seven. They've been almost a non-factor in eight quarters of football against Steve Sarkeesian. So for him to be able to remove those guys that have played on that Alabama front, that's a problem. It doesn't allow you to do the things that you need to do offensively. Motion-based matchup offense. That's what Sark runs. He utilized it and found the matchups that he wanted. He liked them. They took their shots. They got them. They won. That's a play right there where, I mean, once it, quickly, go back to the first play here. The running back goes low, and you slide gap the protection, however you want to call it, okay? The running back goes low. That's quick protection by definition. What would quick protection tell you, common sense football people? Even if you never played, you should understand that. Get the ball out. It's got to happen. Like, it's just, there are little things like that where a lot of folks don't seem to be on the same page. And to me, that's just not understanding all of your offense and the hows and the whys of the inner workings of what you're doing. 
everybody can understand their individual assignment, but you go next level when everyone understands conceptually what you're trying to do and why you're trying to do it. That's the part that I see missing a little bit from Alabama's offense. Now, did they get pushed around? Did they get bullied? Yes, they did. I mean, Texas, like I said, they took that game from Alabama. They didn't, Alabama didn't give it away. Alabama didn't fumble it away. They did some things to help with that, but Texas took that game physically and took the fight to them. So, this is a college football playoff team we're talking about in Texas. Now, I think Alabama has some forks in the road. I'm not going to be one of these guys that's walking out on that plank of talking about the end of Nick Saban or the end of the era or the Alabama football program's falling off a cliff. But as it regards to this individual season, Josh, they are facing multiple forks in the road right now. They have big decisions to make and need to be made fairly quickly of what did we think we were going to be, what are we, and what can we realistically be for the rest of this season? There's not a ton of time to figure that out. And then after you make those decisions, who is best suited to give us the best chance to go be those things? That might mean a quarterback change. That might mean some changes in the offensive line. That might mean some scheme changes. It might mean change at linebacker or defensive tackle. I, I don't know where those are all going to come from, but you've got to find first and foremost what your personality is. You mentioned the game plan. If you're going to ride with Jalen Milrow and you're not going to utilize an elite set of skills that he brings to the table more often, I have to bring that into question and wonder why you're not doing that. And if the quarterback competition was as close as it was, it can't be that you're worried about putting him in harm's way. It just can't because you would feel like the next guy was pretty close. And even if there's a bit of a drop off, that's okay because he was right there with him. So some of that just, it doesn't equal up to me with how they called it and how it's looked. But I also don't think that, the, you know, I'm not, I'm not printing their tombstone just yet. There's a lot of talent on that team. There's a lot of guys that want it. I, the talking's going to be a tad much. Just go do it. I, I don't need to hear you talk about it anymore. Just go do it and see what you can put together over the next few weeks. If you had to guess, would you, um, how would you guess they handle quarterback against USF? I think you'll see more than one. And I think because you at least have to begin preparation for the ifs now down the road, because the ifs may have been something in the back of your mind previously. They have to be forward facing in your brain. I don't know the names of all the cortexes, but they need to be up in this one right here. Yeah. This general facility is where you need to be thinking about if things go haywire again, we have to go to a different option. And what will that option be? So I don't think it's going to be one series and then you see Buckner or two series. You see Buckner. This is not a good football team they're playing. So when they get a decent, comfortable lead, two, three touchdowns, I think you'll absolutely see somebody else get some meaningful snaps. All right. <clears throat> so as you would expect, anytime a high-profile team loses, there is a national freakout and conversation in that order about play calling. So Bama loses, or it could be Ohio State that loses, Clemson loses, who, whoever loses. If Georgia were to lose to South Carolina – we would have a national freakout slash conversation about play calling, and it would start at the ground level. It would start with that fan base, then it would kind of mushroom, and it would permeate, and all of a sudden, the entire country is thrust into talking about something they really, to a 98th percentile, know nothing about. So I've always been wise enough to know where my lane is on the show, so we've never done a play calling questioning segment. Very rarely will I even question personnel, but that does not stop... Uh, that does not stop Carl from Childersburg from doing that. And a lot of times they'll call into shows and it's really entertaining to listen to, but I just wanted to do something. So, and I'm not talking about during the show, but sometimes even when I'm off air, you'll call me up. We'll talk about this. We'll laugh about this. 
I figured, let's just bring it on the show. So I was telling you a story. I think I told you this story about three years ago. I call myself going to go to talk to an offensive coordinator about play calling. And I wasn't doing it to be a jerk. I was saying, hey, please explain this to me. Because they had a wide receiver that I thought should have been a focal point of their game plan, and he had no catches. He had no targets. But he was on the field. So he says, well, tell me what you think. So I give him. I give my whole spiel. I barely even cracked the ice in, in, in terms of uh, intricacy, but I give him my whole spiel. And he says, well, hey, what if I told you he had two dislocated fingers on a hand and he was out of contention to catch a pass? Like We were never throwing him the ball, but we loved him as a decoy, and we end up winning the game, and he could block. We trusted him to block, but we could not throw him the ball because he had two dislocated fingers. Now, I can't talk to the press about that, and I can't go tell anyone that. And even after the game, he's not going to go to the media and say, I couldn't catch a ball today. I had dislocated fingers. But it was the case. He said, now that you're armed with that information, how do you feel about my play calling? And I said, I'm never questioning play calling again. I'm just not doing it. That was something that was actually, that was in terms of injury, but there's also like a million different things. Percentages play into this. Tendencies play into this. You put yourself in a look that you think is a 73% winner, and all of a sudden the 27% happens, and it's second and 10. Was it a bad play call, or did things just not go your way? All kinds of different things, like 100 layers to a play call that starts in the spring, not the week of the game. So when you hear this stuff, how do you react to it? Because you probably hear it in the stands behind you all the time every Saturday. It's why watching games in the stands is really hard, <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> my he's terrible! And I'm just, oh, boy. I, I've watched one game in the stands, with two games in the stands with my wife. Our first game we ever went to was the Arkansas State game, the opener in 2010, and we sat to a man that got mad every time the quarterback ran the ball. When's he going to throw it? Who was that quarterback? Who he was that okay guy? Run the ball. He, he did okay. He did okay run the ball that year. He only yeah. led the SEC in rushing and won the Heisman Trophy. But yeah, it was okay. I w actually went to. I walked up to the tunnel and watched the rest of the game in the tunnel. <laughs> She's like, "This isn't a fun date." And I was like, "No expletive. That dude, that dude right there's ruining. I can't be next to him." So I, I think the first thing you have to do, and there's nothing wrong with questioning it, is just the first thing you have to do is remove individual matchups from your brain. So if you see, and I understand, if, if a receiver beats the same corner nine times, sure, it's okay to say, why didn't we get him some help? It's fine. But you also have to go back and look at, well, what was the formation? What did they motion to shift to to get to that formation that potentially left them where they were, and how often had they done that before? That all plays into that. That's why Dan Mullen's been the master of having success offensively against Nick Saban, because he knows how to root their safeties where he wants them. And he can take advantage of that. Sark, pretty much the same way, does some of those things. Injuries do come into play, like you said. But if you have, if you call a play, and the left tackle gets beat, and are you looking down the field to see what was there? Do you know if the routes were open? And then when there are plays like that, where let's say pressure gets home, or a defensive tackle beats a guard and he gets a sack, do you take the time to look at what was there or what was going to be there inside of that play? I would probably believe most people do not perfect example with the Alabama game which I think where a lot of this conversation is being generated from I would ask you to go back and watch that offense and when you watch it only watch the middle of the field when Alabama's throwing the football and then take the amount of plays that failed when they did not have success and they wanted to throw the football 
and tell me what you saw in the middle of the field that was either there when it failed or what was going to be there quickly before it failed. And you will probably see something very different just in that one game. Just That's the only game that I'm talking about. There are just There's so many internal and external factors that go into an actual play call. Here's the other part. Like, this is why I hate PFF. And I'm sorry I called you out on the show, but I had to do it. You don't know what in the hell the calls are. You don't know what checks were made. You don't know if somebody called the wrong front. You don't know if somebody called the right front. You don't know who they identified as the Mike linebacker. You don't know if they moved the mic front side or back side, if they checked it off. Did somebody call slide protection and half the line I missed it? Is the quarterback putting the running back on the wrong person? But does the running back even hear the call? And then to tell me that you can grade secondaries at halftime of a game is absolutely obnoxious with the amount of calls and checks and things that they have to trade off over the course of a game. It literally cannot happen. It's not humanly possible to know exactly what was happening in those scenarios. So it's also easy to say play call was terrible, but what if Will Rogers came up and got into a totally different play and then flipped it to the other side to run in a different direction and brought a guy in motion that he shouldn't have? Is that on Coach Barbe at that point in time? It'll be. So now you could say, we give your guy too much freedom. All right, <laughs> we, let's have that conversation then. But that's not a plus conversation at that point in time. How do you decide how the impersonation of the caller is going to sound? Because you don't always use the same language. You don't always use the same tone of voice. I mean, how many of them do you have dialed up in your head? We actually had a guy call in to McElroy and Kublik like two weeks ago, and he was mad. He said, I, was, I think it's disrespectful that uh, every time y'all talk about a kid that's not doing something right or that you don't like, he sounds like a redneck. And I just said, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Because I feel like you kind of just proved our point there, but cool, yeah. <laughs> but Greg made a good point. He's like, every coach, every coach has a the Southern accent, because like, that's that's like what yelled at us the most of the time. Like my whole life, whether it was in Homewood High School or at Auburn, like my coaches pretty much had Southern accents and they were yelling at me. So when I picture someone yelling about football, that's what kind of creeps into my brain first. Yeah, man. Uh, the late Tommy Parks, who coached us down at Harris County High School, first thing I ever got yelled at me as a ninth grader was, don't just stand there like a bucket of water, Pate, do something. I never even I never even observed a bucket of water the same way after that. They don't they don't talk like that in North Dakota. I don't think they do. So yeah, fun times. Do you have anything for me? You got some questions you can fire at me. I have a couple things, and these are going to be regurgitated just because I feel like the answers are going to be so much different now than when I asked you before. Mm. I'll start with this one. Better chance Texas A&M finishes first or last in the SEC West? It's last. What did I say the first time? Did I say first? Yes. Oh, that was did. stupid. No, you forget did. that. It's last. The better shot they finish last now. <laughs> I think most people would have said that. Now, I'm, I'm changing this and I'm removing the Big Ten. Maybe I should leave the Big Ten, but I think this is a little more entertaining right now. So this is not totally regurgitated. It's altered and regurgitated. Better chance to get two teams in the college football playoff, the SEC or the Pac-12? I cannot believe this is about to happen. Um, the man. fact that you even had to think about it. Think about where we are right now. I, th I think the answer is the Pac-12. I think Vegas would disagree. I think oddsmakers would disagree with that, obviously. And you're fighting the perception. 
Like every every benefit of the doubt is going to be given to the SEC. None of it's going to be given to the Pac-12. And we really haven't gotten into the carnage of Pac-12 play yet. So maybe maybe I'll flip-flop on that five more times. But as of this moment, um, Southern Cal quietly looks a lot better defensively. I, you know my thoughts on Oregon. If I'm wrong about Oregon, Washington will fill the void. If they don't, Oregon State will fill the void. Uh, Utah's just there, as they are every year. Haven't lost a game. Hey, guys, we're just here. Cam Rising, Jesse, he's, he's right in the control room right now. He looks better and better every day. I think it's the Pac-12. Do you disagree with me on this? I don't think so. Wow. By the way, Washington State's got a pretty good quarterback. They're yeah. throwing it around. Um you know, Arizona is going to be a problem for a lot of teams. They're not going to the playoff, but they're, I think they're going to help some resumes based on what they do through the course of the year. And Colorado's undefeated yeah, and has a first-round NFL quarterback who's wowing a lot of people. So I, I just think it was – somebody asked me about USC earlier. By the way, if you saw that – if you really go take a close look at that defense they played this weekend, holy mother Ooh. of God, that, that, was, that was not interesting Ugh. to look at or talk about. It, that's exactly what it, what it should, should get you right there. Uh, but – I don't like the way they're moving Caleb Williams around. I don't like this sort of let's run into the alley, maybe pop pass, maybe keep. Like I, I don't like how they're putting him in harm's way. And I said this, and I had to catch myself earlier today. I said, I don't know if they're built, wow, I'm going to say it, for what the Pac-12 is going to offer physically this year. Yes, by all means. We made it. Yes, let's, bl- it, let's blow this whole thing up now that it's a quality conference. That's how we'll do it. Hey, I got a question for All you. All right, one more. Last uh, one. Go, go for it. Go ahead. Shoot me, yeah. shoot me first. Better album, Southern Playalistic, Cadillac Music, Surfacing, or Octon Baby? Um, off the top of my head, I don't know who any of those are from. Oh, wow. Oh, I didn't expect you to go there. Southern Playalistic, Cadillac Music is Outcast, uh-huh. by far their best album. For the youngsters that don't know about Tennessee and Florida, you should go back and listen to that one because Hey Ya and Miss Jackson ain't their best work. Surfacing is Sarah McLaughlin, who I've heard you reference multiple times. Oh, but I didn't it's buy the album. album. No, I would never buy the album. I just buy the <laughs> singles. <laughs> just I don't need to lay anything and other Octon than Baby. Angel down on this show. Octum Baby is you too. Greg Sankey would be disappointed that you didn't know yeah. that. You might not get credentials to your next Alabama game. I I don't care for any I, I look, I will lose all street credibility if I say McLaughlin, but I probably know more songs by her. It's it's cool. You can just vote to opt out of that one. We've been doing it for years. All right, look, please, I don't have time to talk about this with you right now. Please behave yourself at Ole Miss this weekend. Okay? You, you see my index finger pointed at you. Please be good over there. I will um, I will do my best to stay safe. You always do. Cole Cuper, thank you, sir. And thank you all to watching or for watching us. I'm Josh Pate for Director Colin, for Producer Jesse. Take care. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the games. We'll be back here Sunday night. Until then, God bless.